anything that we can do to promote learning and really like not have it be top down learning, but literally sharing information, it just becomes so much more valuable. And the people who are like, next month, I want to share this, or in two months, I want to learn about this, or I want to show this. And it just really creates that environment that people feel part of that community, which is the most important thing. And it allows people to continuously learn and support each other. Welcome back to another episode of Design to Be Conversation presented by Design to Be and hosted by Design to Be co-founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how they continue to learn, grow, and skill build throughout their careers. Each episode will not only help you navigate your career more effectively, but they will even enable you to build better products as a result. Let's dive into it. Andy is a design executive, educator, speaker, and co-host of the Surfacing Podcast. He is currently the executive vice president of design at Rocket Companies, where he leads a team of focused and transforming the lending and finance industry through a human-centered approach to provide the best experience for millions of people. Throughout his career, he has built, scaled, and led teams that elevate the role of design as an organizational competence and a competitive advantage. We dive into how his career evolved over time, how you create a space to scale a team and grow their capabilities, and how he values teaching online, mentoring often, and how interns have been a valuable piece to the Rocket design team. Welcome, Andy, to the show. Thanks, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's great to be on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this has been a long time in the books. We started talking uh, months ago, and uh, I'm also a fan of your podcast and the content and the work that you've been putting out. So you've definitely been on my radar of folks to dive in and have a chat with. So I'm excited to connect. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, in uh, this uh, new uh, topic of learning, growing, and skill building throughout one's career, I loved how when I mentioned that we were taking kind of a, a shift with our approach, you were ready and eager and <laughs> so just like down to dive into this topic and there was a lot of passion behind it. But before diving in, I'd love for you to Paint a little picture of what's the first moment when you decided to become a designer? You know, that's such an interesting moment for me because there's been a couple of times where I wasn't sure what to do. I'll start to like very, very beginning. So there was a time, this was back in like late 90s, I was wrestling professionally. So I had dropped out of school the first time trying to get a TV and radio degree to become a professional wrestler and started to travel around and do that. But, you know, at five foot nothing, uh, not chiseled, I'm not going to make a living doing that, obviously. So, you know, I had to think, like, what is next? And I had a couple of injuries along the way, and I'm like, ah, oh, this just isn't worth it for me. So I was like, I know I have to go back to school. And the school that I wanted to go to in Florida had two options, computer networking or a computer design program. And I was like, well, networking doesn't seem super interesting to me. I also don't want to like climb and run cables through like ceilings and floors. And I thought, well, based on my wrestling career, 
like I've always been somewhat creative, but when you think about pro wrestling, it's like, it's an art of storytelling through like live action. So every match, which is predetermined has a sequence to it. And there are moments where you react to the audience and you like build crescendos. And like, there are parts that like the good guys getting beat up for a little bit. And then eventually he tries to make a comeback and the bad guy cuts him off and the crowd's excited. And then they come down and then he works his way up. So being able to tell stories is something that I learned really early on through a different career. So I was like, all right, let me try design. So I tried design and design was really, really fun for me. This was the early days of the web and print. So I got to learn a lot of how the programs work and some of the foundational information. It was just the perfect fit for me. But I lived in South Florida and the design industry in South Florida wasn't super strong. So one of my first jobs that I worked for was a local like electronics retailer working on newspaper ads. And then I eventually moved over to the tabloids and I was responsible for the final output of like Sun, Star, Inquirer, Weekly World News, like all the trash magazines. And when I was working there, we were the first anthrax attack in the United States. Someone mailed a photo of J-Lo in an envelope with a soapy substance. Our photo editor opened it up and ended up dying from inhalation anthrax. And this was back in probably October of 2001. So that was a crazy time. And another time where like we got called down to the health department and the FBI, the CDC, the Florida Department of Health, were like, we don't know what's going to happen to you. So my immediate thought is, I don't want to work for that company anymore. Like, what can I do that's safe? So I reached back out to the school that I graduated from and asked them if I could teach there. So they offered me a teaching position at a campus an hour and a half from my house. And I taught day classes, morning classes. There wasn't enough time to go home in between the day and night classes. And I taught night classes. And then I ended up getting out at like 11 o'clock at night, getting home at 1230 and having to get back up at six o'clock. So that afternoon break that I had is when I really started to learn about these UX disciplines or these design disciplines of content strategy, information architecture, interaction design. Because to me at that point, it was all just designed to a lot of us. So I started to teach that to myself enough that I could teach it to my students. And again, like after a few years of doing that, I'm like, I got to get back out and actually apply this myself. So I started to do that. I started to work for another company. And again, South Florida, it's like, what are we doing here? I'm working for these companies that are like going out of business overnight one company got evicted and I had to like break in to get my equipment out of there one day. So I was like, do I really want to stay in this industry or do I want to try to go into something else? So at that moment, I was kind of undecided if I was going to leave design. And a couple of friends were like, we're going to start an agency and you've got some experience. Like, let's go in and let's do this. And our first client was BlackBerry and we helped them launch some IT tools in Latin America and got like a really big, nice payday that I hadn't gotten up until that point. I'm like, all right, this is cool. And it was early, like now mobile was becoming a thing. So we got to partner with companies that were incubators that had a lot of apps to work on and it really just started to groove. And that's where I fell in love with what we do today. There's so much that you said there, but the first part of the story that I've heard presented in a different way of uh, leaning into... uh, adjacent passions and taking those skills or what really piques your interest and then applying them elsewhere. I've never heard wrestling (laughs) described in that way. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, people look at wrestling and they're like, oh, that's gross or barbaric or soap opera. But really, it's live performance. It's an art. 
you're actually working with your opponent. It's a partnership. It's like a dance. And you're kind of calling it as you go and reacting to things. And if you think about design, like you've got an end state that you want to get to, but the path is never linear. It's always like, how do you adapt to a technology constraint? How do you adapt to a change in the organization? So just being able to like change things up on the fly is a skill that everyone eventually learns over time. I just happened to learn it before I became a designer. Are there any other skills or or passions that you had or you have that you've seen trickle in in a similar way as it has affected your career? I'm a very curious person. And I also have a collector's mindset in the fact that I like to research and gather things. So I like to go really deep down like rabbit holes on topics. And I think that that was always the case, whether it was like, what music do I want to listen to? I still have a list of about 3000 artists that I've never had a chance to listen to. That was like, originally alphabetized and then eventually it's broken down by genre and then alphabetized so there's an information architecture component to the way my mind thinks and just the fact that i love to like dive in and nerd out on just about anything and i get really passionate to like learn as much as i can even if it's like collecting a thing i'll collect everything and then i'll be like i'm done here i don't need these let me give them to goodwill and figure out how to go on to the next thing i think that The marriage of not just the creative side, but the systems thinking side is just something for me that I'm like left and right brain somehow. I'm equally always sorting (laughs) things, things and and grouping the things and and giving things a home and (laughs) all of that. You know, it's funny because now it's fall, it's pumpkin spice season and nobody will see this except for you. But I've got this list that's broken down of like every pumpkin item that exists. And then I've got like what store it's at and check off if I have had a chance to taste it and cross it out if I don't like it. And it's like 25 swipes long. And I'm constantly like optimizing this data because it's not like I have time to do this, but I'm so like bought in on it that I have to keep it going. Okay, so folks, follow up with Andy on Twitter for his pumpkin spice <laughs> list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one other part of the story that you shared that I, I'm curious to unpack a little bit that I found particularly interesting is, so you got pulled back into this academic setting, and you started teaching uh, during the day and at night, but then there was this space in between. I'm curious your thought process of determining how you got pulled into, oh, I'm going to dive more into those UX skills. We're on the brink of so many new technologies and so many new skill sets that designers can develop. And so in a very different way, there's this huge opportunity for folks to use whatever little blip of time to determine, oh, I'm going to dive this way. Oh, I'm going to dive this way. So what was your mental model in thinking, okay, I'm going to learn more about interaction design? The school that I went to and graduated from taught me how to use tools. And like we would back then do the Adobe Classroom in a book. So I would learn how to do specific things. It was just like a taste and I wanted to learn more and I wanted to consume as much information about design as I could. You know, when we first come out of design school or we're first in design school or a school that teaches us design, the first thing we notice are like, 
you go to the movies and you see the opening credits and if they're good or bad, like you're like, wow, I've never thought about this this way. Or like, I'm not going to buy that package of cookies because the font is terrible. I'm going to buy this one that may taste worse, but it looks nice. And that moves on to like wine bottles or things like that. So there's always that, like, how do I continue to learn? And then I saw, like, I graduated in a class of like 35, and I think I'm the only person that's still in design. And I think that the way design schools work are they teach you just enough. And to really be successful, you've got to go above and beyond. So for me, it was like, I'm learning and loving to learn about this so that I can better myself. And it's always this quest myself to continue to learn how do I get better? How do I learn something new? How do I add more skills or more tools to my toolbox? And, you know, when I had the time to do that, I'm like, I've got to create a lesson. Why do I want to teach the same thing every couple of months? I want to continue to learn and get the best for my students as well. And it's just one of those things that over time, you find what you're passionate about, and you just want to dig in and continue to learn. And we'd never stop learning. The other thing that you talked about, though, that popped into my head is about all of the new technologies that we're trying to learn. And it's an interesting point in time to be a designer because there are so many emerging technologies, but there's always been, right? But now we've got like autonomous vehicles, we've got natural language processing engines, we've got AI, we've got Web3, we've got like so many things The problem that we have is we don't have the time to understand how the technologies truly work because we're building for them in the moment. And we're not learning that in the past we've done this and it's caused great harm. If you look at our industry as a whole, like we've made some mistakes. We've got algorithmic bias. We've got just improper practices. There's so many things not being inclusive. We're trying to correct a lot of that now. But it stems from us just diving in headfirst and just trying to build and learn. And now we're starting to realize like, hey, wait, these technologies can actually cause harm. Like we've got to learn what they're capable of doing. But at the same time, we don't want to fall behind. Our companies don't want to fall behind. So what are we going to do to really learn them? And that's another thing. Like there's so much information coming at us. That's why you're seeing so many specializations. I mean, you can't learn everything all at once. Like we've got conversational designers that are focused on chat experiences and natural language processing. And we've got service designers that are looking at an ecosystem view. And then we're looking at like vehicles and how that works. And it's just so much. And I think that for us as a society, we really need to take that step back and make sure that we're truly learning about these things. Because if we don't, they're going to get out of hand really fast. As a design leader, one, how do you practice this? And then two, whether it be for fellow managers or even IC designers, how do you recommend they balance this? Okay, let's stay up to date with the latest with the, okay, how can we better understand the macro market? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because the other macro market that we all face are our individual industries. So me working in finance, when we bring in new designers, they've got to learn about the mortgage business and all of our other businesses and understand how the company operates and how the company makes money so that they can continue to help the company be successful. So for me personally, I learn a lot from my team. I think that I 
don't read a lot of like in the weeds design articles anymore. I'm the one passing the like business articles to the team so that they can learn that. Or here's a new technology. What do we think about this? Like I'm trying to stay ahead of the curve while the team is helping me fill in those other like details of like what's hot in design. Like why are we going with this pattern over a different pattern? Like helping me really understand those trends that are happening. We've got this practice of sharing. We share through like chat. We share through. Slack, we share through conversation. The other thing that I love is when we have interns, right? The interns come in and that perspective, and we just got out of like the main summer intern season, but the perspective that they have that they come in with like the latest teachings of what they're learning in school and this like blue sky picture of what they can do and they haven't really been like jaded or beat down by, <laughs> by organizations for too long. They come with this perspective that's contagious of like, yes, we can do this. And they don't understand the constraints that we have. They're like, but wait, like that shouldn't matter. Let's keep going. So that's always a time that inspires me. I also learn a lot about new music and things from the interns and a lot of new pop culture. But from a design perspective, like they have that like curiosity that sometimes we forget. Sometimes we're so in it that we forget to take that step back and really look at that macro of what we can do and what it should be. So that's another way of learning. I also, me personally, I teach online in a master's program at Kent State. So being able to like continue to understand what's happening in the industry, continue to see things evolve, continuing to refresh a curriculum, continuing to have like conversations with students that that's one opportunity. I think we'll talk a little bit more probably about mentorship. I think that's another opportunity because as I mentor people, I'm not helping them solve problems like by directly giving them solutions. I'm taking my experiences that I have and explaining them to them and helping them look at things through different perspectives so that they come to those conclusions themselves. But as you go deep into what people are experiencing as problems, that also unlocks like new things that you may not have realized. Or you might have been able to connect a similar situation a few years ago, but certain variables have changed. Maybe the tools have changed. Maybe the process has changed. Something's changed. The speed, the technology. So that gives me a chance to dive in and say, hey, wait, I, I never actually heard of that thing. Like, again, I tie it back to curiosity, though. On that same thread, how have you created this culture of sharing within your team? So when I got to the company, we had a smaller centralized design team than we have today. And we had pockets of design happening in other places. And, you know, it's not about where designers sit in the organization. It's about how we can create this community for people to come together and learn and share best practices so one of the things that made the most sense was to try to build these relationships and pull people together. You know, when you when you have different companies that make up like our organization is made of not just like it's Rocket Mortgage, it's Rocket Homes, it's Rocket Auto, it's Rocket Loans, it's Rocket Solar. There's so many companies within our family of companies that have some design teams there. So at first, when you're like, I'm going to pull everyone together, some people may say, hey, wait, are you trying to like pull the designers into this organization? Are they going to work on other things? Like, I'm a little uncertain because I've got this dedicated team. And it's like, no, it's not about where they sit. It's about how we can apply and share learning so that we can all solve problems faster together. So the things that we started to share from the beginning are the work that's in progress. Because if someone's working on an onboarding flow and two other 
teams are working on somewhat different, but almost the same onboarding flows. Like, why are we doing that? Why are we duplicating all this work? Why can't we pull together and have like one consistent onboarding flow? And those conversations led to the creation of our design system. And then it's like, okay, we're sharing best practices. We're going to bring in a speaker. Let's invite everyone to that so that everyone gets to hear that firsthand and take that and apply it. Now, over time, we've moved some of the different designers into our centralized team as it's gotten larger, but not all of them. And that's not the end goal. The end goal is how do we continue to have this space for learning? You know, right before this, we had an all-team meeting and we talked about some examples of what makes design good. We shared a couple of best practices. We dove deep into like our conversational design tools to see what they look like. And, you know, everyone walks away with a better understanding of conversational design. So anything that we can do to promote learning and really like not have it be top-down learning, but literally sharing information, it just becomes so much more valuable. And the people who are like, Next month, I want to share this, or in two months, I want to learn about this, or I want to show this. And it just really creates that environment that people feel part of that community, which is the most important thing. And it allows people to continuously learn and support each other. Can you unpack that a tiny bit more? Because my mind is going towards possibly the teams that don't have that innate motivation to share just yet. And what I gathered from what you shared is you've been intentionally creating space for folks to feel comfortable sharing. Are there any other ways that folks can, as like a first step, and possibly it is a a lunch and learn kind of thing that's reoccurring on, on the books, but is there anything else that folks could immediately get started on to start to plant seeds of these kind of cultural shifts? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I did many years ago when I was working at 3M is I started just a newsletter that I'd send out to designers with like, here's four or five articles that I read this week that I think are really important to read. And you start to see like, all right, one or two people are chiming in. Then all of a sudden someone else is like replying with, here's two other articles related to that thing. So it starts to get that sharing or maybe that happens in a Slack channel. There are times, you know, you put something in there and it's crickets. Nobody replies. You're like, all right, everyone's either heads down or they don't care about this thing. You know, and as leaders, we kind of are like, wait, does the team not want to learn? Like, what's going on here? But then you really like, you take that step back and you say, no, like they're probably busy or this may not be the right method to communicate this. So other times it's as you get to know people, especially from a leadership perspective, as you get to know your team and you know, like what inspires them and what they're working on. It's really easy for you to say, hey, I read this article, like, let me pass it on to you directly. And if you find it valuable, like pass it on to someone else. And then you start to see that like natural sharing take place for the people that aren't like, hey, I just want to walk everyone through a case study for the first time of this thing that just launched. So it really is getting to understand the comfort level people have of sharing and the different mediums in which you have to share, but always promoting that like, hey, you don't have to share it to the group. Like if you find something interesting, like share it with me. If there's an article that you're like, you should read this, or maybe it's like why every company needs a chief design officer that someone sends me, something like that, that I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, thanks for sharing that. So it's just promoting good behavior. We are going to take a short break to hear an exciting update from design to be design to be has been researching and ideating on a digital product. We're super excited about what's in the works, but we need your help. 
we are looking to chat with heads of design, design managers, and IC designers to better understand the design process at your organization. If you are open for a 30-minute call with me and or design to bes co-founder and CTO, Keith Stevens, head to designtobe.com forward slash app to join our waitlist. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E dot com forward slash A-P-P. After adding your name to the waitlist, we'll then follow up via email. Over a short call, we'll share what we're building, get your feedback, and learn more about your team's design process. These calls directly impact the future of what we're building at design to be So thank you for your support. And we're excited to continue to build Design to Be together. Now, back to the show. One other avenue I want to circle back on from what you shared a, a bit ago is uh, the uh, just value of diversity of perspective. So you're mentioning you're mentioning the interns, you're mentioning just different points of view. I, I'd love for you to touch on that piece a bit more. Sure. You know, and you started to talk about diversity and perspective earlier when you talk about adjacent passions that we bring into design. So, you know, there are times where design, especially like on social media, it's a little bit of an echo chamber. It's a lot of like we're talking to ourselves about ourselves. So how do you create an environment that actually starts to change that? So diversity, we know, whether it's diversity of background, diversity of knowledge, diversity of experience, like that just leads to better outcomes for everyone. So what we want to do, at least for my team, like I have people on my team that weren't designers to start. Maybe it was a technical writer. I have someone that was a, a, you know, a caseworker that has great empathy for people, right? It's taking people who have done different things, but have a passion for solving problems for people, meaningful problems for people. Like you start there. But then you look at like who's in the room and where they come from and what experiences they've had. Like I don't want a hundred people in a room that have only worked for a mortgage company because then we can't think really outside the box. I want people that have come from large organizations, small organizations, people that grew up with different cultures. They're just going to bring different perspectives to the table to make things better and also make sure that we're not solving problems for a small subset of people that we're not even aware of. Because once you only surround yourself with people who have those same experiences, those same background, that same way of thinking, you're not going to realize there's a different solution. And then what you put out there won't be for everyone. And then you'll find that out later after it launches. And that's some of the problems we've been seeing a lot lately. So for us, it's really like, how can we recruit from different schools? How can we bring in people at all different levels of experience? How can we bring in people that have worked in different industries? How can we bring in people that don't look like me, that have different backgrounds, and get them all in a room and really like solve problems together? And that's when you start to uncover the like, oh, I didn't even think of that. And once you have that, that's the magic that happens because then you're introducing people to think in a different way and look at things through a different lens. And that really helps unlock really interesting solutions. How have you successfully advocated for diversity, whatever the background, the experience, whatever it may be, since for some folks, the person with X background, it might not seem as, oh, but they didn't go to whatever school or they didn't work at whatever company or whatever, whatever it may be. 
how have you been able to show that value or how have you navigated that piece? Yeah, you know, it's different everywhere, but I've been fortunate enough that, you know, when I took this role at Rocket, my leader, my boss was like, come here and build something that you're proud of. Like, just show us what this should be. And she's been really supportive of every decision along the way. Of course, she's there to kick the tires on things and make sure that like, I'm not going off the rails and like, what are you doing here? Like, keeping her in the loop, but she's been so supportive of like, whatever you need to build this, like, just let me know what it is and let's do it. Whether it's been like, we're going to introduce new disciplines or yes, we're going to have 25 interns this summer. We've never had more than six. Can you handle that? Yes, we absolutely can. And we will, and we'll make sure it's a great experience for them. So we're going to convert some of these interns or, you know, we're going to hire these people that have a different background or maybe aren't in the same geographic location. That's been something that that I've been thankful that hasn't been a problem or something that's had to keep me up at night. You know, in other places that I've worked, obviously they look for, you know, pedigrees from design schools or companies at some point. But then you realize like when we bring in people that worked for competitors, we're just going to get competitors solutions. So you start to say, hey, we've got to think beyond that. We've got to look to different industries. And I always create a list, even for like recruiting of like, these are the 50 to 75 companies I want you to look at for people. But along the way, like, let's also be open to everybody. But if we're going to really like do it, if we've got five researchers to hire, like here's the 15 companies that really value research, we're going to find someone really good from there. But at the end of the day, like that's just like, a little bit of a guardrail for us to be able to like go after some top talent. I mean, most of our team lately, our recruiting has been done through referrals and word of mouth and people posting on social links. And that's been really helpful too, because it's gotten us just as we bring in people at different levels and from different places, it just expands and expands and expands exponentially like the network that we have access to. So we're not just pulling you know, designers from a few places or a few different industries were going further and further out. And it's been great. I do realize how fortunate I am. And I think there's a piece of it too, for people that aren't in that same situation of like, we've got to figure out how to tell that story in a way that resonates when we hear no. So if someone's like, Hey, I don't think this is a good idea. Like figure out how to tell the story to make, help them see it. Like, This is what the end result will look like. As designers, we're natural storytellers. So if we have the ability to like understand the different inputs from stakeholders and put together a story that hits all of the things that they touched upon so they feel ownership of that story, and then you still hear no, like go back and try to tell that story in a different way. Look for different data points. Explain how it's going to impact the business. Explain what will make it a differentiator versus the competition. Like there are so many different things to uncover and understand what motivates your stakeholders as well. Like before we talked about motivating your team members, now understand what motivates your stakeholders so that you can get them on board when you're like, hey, I want to try this new thing out. But the thing is, you got to build trust, right? They're people and the people that you work with, you have to have empathy for and you really have to have that trust. And trust with your business stakeholders comes in a few ways. One is truly proving that you understand their business and their concerns and how they make money and what their clients need. And the other piece of that 
is you've got to get some quick wins with them. You've got to go in it with them and show them that you can help deliver for them. So then when you're like, hey, wait a minute, I want to redesign the homepage today. They're not like, wait a minute. No, that's crazy. We have to focus on this thing. You've built that trust and they're like, all right, let's do it. So it is really all about figuring out how to influence people. What are ways that you have built trust with stakeholders that you've worked with? The best way is to really going through the shit together. I mean, when there's a fire, like you're in that, it's communication. It's how we communicate. So it's really easy to walk in on day one and say, hey, I think we should do things differently. And people are like, hey, wait, who's this, who's this new person trying to change the way we do everything? You have to go through that storming period together. You've got to like push and make people a little bit uncomfortable. It truly is like a team doesn't thrive and work well together until they've seen some like fires and some turmoil and have had some struggles, right? You got to launch something that fails and you thought this was going to increase conversion by 20% instead it drops it by 4%. You're like, wait, what do, what do we do here? It's that how we work together in that moment of crisis that pulls people together and gets them closer later on. And you got to say what you're going to do and actually do that. And that is so important. If you can actually like follow through and be dependable, like that goes such a long way. I want to touch back on when we were talking a bit about mentorship and how that has presented itself for you throughout your career. And even upon maybe being earlier in your career, being a mentee, if you had any mentors that had profound impact on you in any way. Because I'm so curious, I always reach out to people for advice. And I remember like just conversations on LinkedIn with people that were like names at conferences that I saw speak. And I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about going into this industry to make a difference. And you know, they're like, yeah, you've got this. Don't worry about it. Like just being available to some of those conversations and our whole industry is like that. I didn't have a specific mentor that I can really think of until as I got later in my career. Like now I've learned to really surround myself with really good people, leaders in other organizations, people that I can bounce ideas off of and they can come back to me. And even internally in my own organization, I have uh, an advisor slash coach that's been at the company for a long time who really helps me as I'm like, I'm stuck on this problem that I can't really think through. And while she can't tell me how to solve it from a design perspective or how to make the impact from a design standpoint, she helps me navigate like the culture and the people and how things work. So it's really like, it's good to have mentors in different areas and different ways. But, you know, right now for me, I spend a lot of time, decent amount of time mentoring and I mentor in a few different ways. I mentor through ADP list, which a lot of people are mentoring on there now started during the pandemic for designers who at the time were looking for roles or looking to grow in their career. I mentor through Adobe's design circle. I've been paired up with a couple of people. One of my mentees is an amazing designer who is still going to school and teaching, a teaching assistant at University of Maryland. And that is such a great experience to be able to help people see what's possible and what opportunities exist. And it not only helps me like from a design standpoint, be able to guide them based on my design experiences, but from a career and growth and personal growth perspective, it's something that like just talking to people and seeing that like aha moment for them when they've been stuck on a problem and that moment that they actually solve it themselves because you gave them the counter perspective that they were struggling with. You know, maybe you're struggling with getting 
buy-in for being strategic in design and, you know, going in and being able to like role play the stakeholder and help them have that conversation and then help them see that other perspective so that when they have that conversation the next time they know how to address it differently. Like those are just opportunities that continue to help me grow because some of those situations I may not have been in specifically, but I've been in similar ones. And then I may come across one and I'm like, wait, I got to take my own advice in this situation because I'm reacting to this the wrong way. So it's just the more you allow yourself to have those sorts of relationships, you just continue to grow. And we don't always get a chance to reflect back on our own experiences because we're just kind of heads down and moving and we don't like take that step back. Like I mentioned earlier, those actually allow us to sit down and think about like, what did we do in those situations? What did we learn from those situations? What could we have done differently in those situations? So then we can share that information. Shift to a couple closing questions. We touched on a lot of different things today, and you're a very innately curious person. And so I'm curious why you think it's important for designers or really anyone to continue to learn, grow, and skill build throughout their careers. Yeah, you know, our industry changes so quickly. The technologies, like we talked about, change so quickly. The people that we're solving problems for, their interests, the way they work changes so quickly. Like, in order to stay successful, we have to stay up to date with that. I mean, just like at the bare minimum, everything is always changing. Change is a constant. So it's always best to stay ahead of the curve on the change so that it's easier to manage that change later. We see that a lot when we talk about companies over time of like, you know, if there's something that you're not doing, your competition probably is. And you don't want to be beat to the punch on delivering a product or you don't want to fall behind where your competition has leapfrogged you. So continuing to learn, that's like the reason to stay current. I mean, aside from the fact that if you're doing this, like you want to do this long term, it, it feels so good to be able to solve problems for people especially when you get to solve things like I've been fortunate enough in finance and healthcare to really like impact people. And you realize like, I don't want to lose that opportunity. I want to continue to help people. And I don't want people to come to me, the people that we're solving problems for and say, Hey, you're not meeting my needs anymore. I want to anticipate those needs. I want to know them well enough that I'm ahead of them so that when their needs start to change, they're like, wow, I didn't even realize this is still solving all of my problems. I didn't even have to think about it. Like, it's just, I'm still using this. I would equate that to like my iPhone right now. I got the new iPhone, right? The design hasn't changed in five or six versions, but why would it have to? It just, it works as I need it to work. It does what I need it to do. And they know that like, okay, the camera got better. I love that. But most people are like, yeah, the camera, like how much do I use it? It's not worth new money. But at the end of the day, like, They just know they've changed some interactions, you know, but people use it. Some people will complain about it at first because change is hard, but ultimately like they're staying ahead of how we're going to use things in our behaviors. One last question is if you could ask one thing of the audience in relation to what we spoke of today, maybe one thing that they could get started on, what would it be? I think it would be find a way to build yourself a support system and a mentorship group or just a network of people that you can continue to learn from and share ideas with and kick the tires on ideas and push each other to kind of continue to grow. I think it's so important for you to have that. And, you know, it needs to feel safe. People that 
you're comfortable with because maybe you've got a terrible idea and like it's someone that will tell you hey you know what that that actually isn't a great idea but hey maybe you should read this book or learn this thing or hey are you paying attention to what's going on with like angular and react as you're building out your design like just people that can continue to push you to be better Thank you so much, Andy, for your time and your insights and your stories. And I now officially think differently about wrestling. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, thank you so much for your time. It was a, a joy chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rachel. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. If you're curious to learn more about Design to Be, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Or share this episode with a fellow designer, your team, or on social. These are all excellent ways to support the show. And as always... Thanks so much for listening.